the book of Jeremiah chapter 7. And so if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there. Last week I taught in the New Living Translation and nobody got mad at me, so I'm going to do that again today. And just in case you're wondering, well, why is Manny doing that? Because uh, there's a part of me that really, um, I'm going to study it in the Greek, I mean the Hebrew, I'm going to study it in New King James, but this is a part of me that that is, is um, heavy burden for the younger people. And I know the younger people have a hard time sometimes with a New King James that came out in 1984. That was, you know, think about it, you know, close to 50 years ago, 40 years ago. And then, you know, the original King James is 1611. And so, yeah, it's probably more accurate, but the New Living Translation is more modern. And I think that, you know, as we look at both translations, we just want you to better understand it. A lot of times you read the, or the, other, the, the more complex versions and they don't understand really when we're when they're reading it, and they kind of wait for the pastor to explain it, and they're like, "Oh, okay, now I understand." Well, it should be a combination of both. You should be able to understand it kind of when you're reading it, and then what the pastor does is he supplements that. Okay, so, anyways, that's what um, my, where my heart is. Uh, we're here in the book of Jeremiah, and if it's your first time uh, in the book of Jeremiah, and anyone here, it's your first time as we're studying the book of Jeremiah together. Uh, for some of you it is, it is a very difficult book. You have to know what you're walking into. You're walking into a word where God is warning his people that judgment is coming. I mean, it is just a heavy situation. You know, the, the Jews in Jerusalem were not in a good place spiritually. Uh, Jeremiah began uh, prophesying at the tail end of King Josiah's reign. Now, King Josiah was a good king. And under him, it looked like there was this radical reformation and it looked really good. And, you know, Josiah went and he took out all the idols and he was a really good king. But here's the thing. It wasn't real. It wasn't real. It was fake. It was fake. It was just superficial. And there's a lot of people like that, you know, when it gets down to the nitty gritty and you start looking at the heart, you got to start looking at the, the things that are really going on in their life. They're not really in love with God. And it's just a religion. It's just a habit. It's just a routine. It's just a rut. And that was what's going on. And so what ends up happening, if you're not right with God, let me tell you something. You're going to fall in love with the things that the world has to offer. And before you know it, it won't take long before you're a two-timer, before your heart is divided, man, because that's just the nature of the beast. That's the nature of who we are. And so that's what happened to the southern kingdom. Their hearts were divided. And therefore, you know, after Josiah died and, and you know, Jeremiah, just, he just, he, he's prophesying. And then the decline is more and more. Josiah had successfully removed the idols from the land, but he could not remove the idols from their hearts. And that's very important. You know, ask yourself this question today. Okay, be honest. I want you to be honest. Is God number one in your life? Or are you? Or are you your number one? Like you do what you want. You say what you want to say. You go where you want to go. Are you number one? Because they say that self is a natural to which most people bow down naturally. That's, there's that idolatry of self. Or maybe you have another boyfriend, girlfriend, you name it. It could even be a kid, a son. It could be a friend. It could be anyone that you put before God. It could be an ambition. It could be a possession. No, we have to make sure, yeah, he got rid of the idols. We don't got statues here. 
But, you know, even though you get rid of the idols from the land, Josiah, only that person can get rid of the idols in their heart. It doesn't matter what the monarchy does. It doesn't matter what happens generally or publicly. What matters is what happens personally. Is God your God? Is he number one? Does he call the shots? Does he tell you, you know, hey, don't be thinking that. Don't be looking at that on your phone and you're listening to him. I mean, is he number one or not? Because this is where we have to be. And this is what Jeremiah was dealing with. And, and the title of today's study is not meant for punishment. And, and what that basically means is um, it's kind of like this. Do you guys know that you were meant for heaven? How many of you guys know that? Like I was made to be with God in heaven forever. That's what we were made for. That's what it was, it was all meant for. But, but what ends up happening is some people, they go sideways. They don't bow down to Christ. They don't believe. And then what ends up happening is they suffer needlessly. And so it shouldn't be that way. We were made to be in heaven, not hell. And so God help us to know this. This is really the option that Jeremiah gives. He says this. Hey, here it is. If you live for God, if you're obedient, God will bless you and keep you in the land, the promised land of blessing. If you're obedient, not perfect, but just obedient, proper. And you're going to stay in the land, the sphere of blessing. But if not, uh, God says, let me tell you, I'm going to come and take you away. And the Babylonians would come and conquer them. And it was a horrible thing. So these are the options. Look where you read in verse 1. It says that the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. Oh, Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it. All of you who worship here, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. I don't know if you can visualize Jeremiah, you know, standing there at the entrance of the table at the temple. It would be like if you guys were coming to church and there, there's someone out there, you know, talking to you and they were prophesying, you know, uh, this message to you as you're walking in. That's the way it was. He was there at the gate. I don't know if you can visualize him in that type of temple, but he's delivering the message of rebuke to those who are just flowing into the temple, you know? And we don't know when it was. A lot of Bible teachers believe more than likely it was probably uh, one of the feast days. You know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 16, 16, that there were three times where all the males were required to go to the temple, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Pentecost and the Tabernacles. And so, you know, probably a ton of people, and he's telling them this message of warning But it's a message of warning that's mingled with a message of promise. He says, listen, this is from the Lord of heaven's armies. And this is all I'm going to say. Quit your evil ways. Reform your ways and actions. Change the way you've been living. You know, one translation says kind of like, you know, clean up your act. He says, if you do quit your evil ways then I will let you stay in the land. And that land, you guys know, was the land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land of blessing. It was was their home. It was the, you know, for me, when I think of my land, I think of this is a sphere of blessing. This is where God wants me to be. Not a physical land, necessarily. 
It is the, the purpose of my life. It is the intention for my life. It is God's plan for my life. God says, if you'll quit doing that crazy stuff, then I will give you the blessing of staying in the land. But look what he says in verse 4. But, but don't be fooled by those who promise you safety. Simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting or oppressing foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop your murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by by worshiping idols, then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. And so Jeremiah says, hey, you know, stop doing that crazy stuff, man. You know, and if you, if you stop, then I'll let you stay in the land. Don't be deceived by those false prophets out there. Maybe some of you, you watch these guys on TV and they're not from the Lord. You're like, oh, but I like the way he dresses. I like the way he's, you know, and, and you name it. It's such a nice message. And whenever I hear this guy, I just feel so good. A lot of people want that kind of message from the teachers. And then Jeremiah said, don't be, don't be fooled by them. These guys are teaching you that there's no way God's going to judge. There's no way God's going to judge Jerusalem because here is where this temple is, the temple of the Lord. And three times in the Hebrew, they say it, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Now, anytime you see anything repeated three times in the, in the, in the Bible, you know, that, that means it's emphasized, and that was where they were. The people had a zero fear of God. They thought, not a problem. You know, I'm in, I win. doesn't matter if I sin and sin and sin. It don't mean nothing because I'm saved. That's what they were thinking. We got the temple. And, and the false prophets taught them, well, you've got nothing to fear. It's true because we're in Jerusalem and this is the home of God's holy temple. You know, and sometimes people look at a building and they think, wow, it's so beautiful and it's so holy. It's not the building. It's not the structure. You go to these places in, in Europe and Rome and some of the temples that people build and they get, you know, they exalt the building. They think the building's holy. Listen, if the people aren't holy, the building's not holy. And that may have been the holy temple, but it wasn't the holy temple because the people were not holy. And so why were these guys teaching them this? Why do some pastors, is it, are they, you know, uh, do they know that they're deceiving the people or are they themselves deceived? Maybe they themselves were deceived because if you go back to 722 BC, right around there, a little bit later, you'll find that the Assyrian army, 185,000 soldiers surrounded uh, Jerusalem. And you guys remember the story there with Hezekiah. He spread out the threats before the Lord. And you guys remember what happened? Think about this, okay? 185,000 soldiers surrounding our church. Okay, these are the Assyrians. These guys are crazy. These are the guys that impale people. These are the guys that cut off arms, that gouge out eyes. I mean, these guys are crazy. They'll put hooks in your mouth and they'll carry you away. No one had defeated the Assyrian army. So they were surrounded by them. And you know what the people of Jerusalem did? You know what Hezekiah did? He prayed. And so God sent a message to Hezekiah saying, because you prayed, you're going to be delivered. 
And God sent one angel, it was probably Jesus, an angel of the Lord, not an angel, but a theophany of Christ, a messenger. He came down and he wiped down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And so maybe these prophets, these whatever guys in the days of Jeremiah, maybe that's where they're thinking, yeah, just like God did it then, God's going to do it again now. So you guys don't have anything to worry about. You know, the false prophets thought God would do the same. But again, this is a different situation. The problem was the people didn't give God the glory after that victory. As a matter of fact, they only sunk deeper in their depravity and disobedience. They were not... And here's what the one thing the Lord's been saying to me lately. Because you guys know I'm weird, right? You guys know I like to rhyme. I don't know why I like to rhyme. But here's what I, I, I pray we would have a heart that is intense on obedience. Intense. Man, Lord, I want to obey you with all my heart in every area of my life. I don't want to mess around with this. I want to be intense on my obedience, because they were not there. You know, God had delivered them, you know. God had done this work, but they didn't love him for that. They just fell in love with the temple. Who cares about the building? Who cares about the temple? That's not what it's about. You know, that was where their trust was, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We're good. God's a gracious God. And you know what? He could have protected that holy temple, no problem. But as I mentioned earlier, the people were not holy. You know, I just want to encourage you guys. We're not here teaching that you can be perfect. You know, we're all going to fall short, and we're probably going to do that frequently but if there's something going on and you're looking at pornography and you're getting high you're getting drunk or you're living in sexual sin or you've got you know things the holy spirit says hey you know you have to get rid of that pride and things are not right in your home and your marriage and whatever the relationship is between you and that person and god is saying because you need a change and the holy spirit puts his, his finger on something and we refuse to change that's what i'm talking about when that happens, that's when we're in trouble. You know, the, the blood of Jesus, oh, that's okay, I'm a Christian, I'm forgiven, I'm fine, I'm free. Listen, I always tell you guys this, we, we use God's grace, but we must not abuse God's grace. Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. But then Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, hey, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Perish the thought. And so for us, you know, imagine what would happen, you guys, if our church, if our church began to have a passion for outright intense obedience. If God looked down and scrutinized the church and said, hey, look at that church over there, Calvary Chapel Amani. I'm noticing that, you know, these people are, are they got a heart for me. Do you think, how many of you think God, God would move in a mighty way? He would. And this is why this is so important for us because he says, hey, I want you to be like this so that you can stay in the land and be blessed beyond your wildest imagination, a land that flows with milk and honey. But if you don't, if you continue in your sin, and for Jeremiah, he prophesied for close to 40 years. You know, and someone might be here and they'd be like, well, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I'm still good. You know, I'm not, you know, really serious or intense about obedience. I'm still good. Yeah, but 
you know, Jeremiah was prophesying, warning them for a long time, and eventually, you know, God dealt with them. You know, 1 Peter 1.15, it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. You know, some churches are not teaching about obedience. Some churches is all about grace. Some churches are not teaching about holiness, but we must. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't belong to yourself. None of us do. And so we need to walk this walk. I, I like what Worsby said. He said, any theology that minimizes God's holiness and tolerates people's deliberate sinfulness is a false theology. Because these guys right here, they're all peace. In the temple of the Lord, you guys are good, ain't no thing. They were teaching it's okay to be bad because we got the building. But God says that's not how it works. There's no security when there's sin, even in the sanctuary. You will only be recipients of my mercy, God says right here, if you quit your evil ways, if you stop habitually sinning, If there is a reformation, a true transformation, God here warns and informs us there needs to be a change. You know, and just in case you're out there and you're thinking, that guy Manny, man, he's kind of hard, you know, whatever. I don't know if you guys are thinking that or not, just in case. I, I, um, I take this to myself, too. I don't want you guys to think that I'm sharing this at you. You know, one thing I learned is if I'm pointing the finger, there's three pointing back at me, right? And so I, this is for me too. You know, anything the Holy Spirit is saying, that needs to change and that needs to go. You need to stop being that way, whatever it is, with your wife or with your kids or in your prayer life or whatever who it is, whatever it is. What right do we have to do our own thing? If God says, hey, pray you know, for 15 minutes, what right do you have not to pray for 15 minutes? If God says read the Bible, what right do you have not to read the Bible? If God says go to church service, what right do you have not to go to church service? You know, people, unfortunately, they don't live their life with Jesus as king. He's Lord. And we have to have this understanding. You know, right here in verses 5 and 6, he mentions some specific sins. Look what he says right there. But, but I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with, here's the first thing, justice. Justice. And then only if you stop your exploiting, or the New King James Version says oppression. And and only if you stop your your murdering. So did you notice this interesting? There's three things, and he's saying to them how they need to deal with other people. You know, you need to be just with them. You need to be fair with them. You need to make sure that you don't murder them or hate them because hate is a form of murder. And so it's interesting to me. And then the fourth one he he mentions is, is idolatry. The fourth one is them, you know, directly dealing with God. But I thought that was interesting because when you look at that, you find that God's, uh, you know, when he's looking at us, um, he's really interested in how we treat people. How we treat people. Is there anyone in your life that you hate? That's murder. I mean, wouldn't you guys say, you guys, I know you've been Christians for long enough, most of you here, we're supposed to love who? 
Who do we love? Everybody. Everybody. That's what the Bible says. And if you say that you're a Christian and you don't, chances are you're not a Christian. So we got to settle these things in our heart. As God is dealing with sin specifically right here, the first three have to do with the way that we treat others. And then the last one has to do with the way that we are towards God. And, you know, maybe you're looking at this and you're like, well, these issues are not my issues. But, you know, whatever it is, and this is why I'm really encouraging you guys, you know, to really listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit You know, um, you guys, we have this personal relationship with God. If you haven't been hearing his voice and you don't know what, you know, you need to change, then my encouragement to you is to slow down, you know, get on your knees, you know, give God time. Because if you give him time, he will speak to you on what the next, you know, challenge is for us to overcome. You know, one of the things I love is Psalm 139, 23 and 24. When you get a chance, I encourage you to read that. Where, where David prayed, Lord, search me, Lord, um, try me and see if there's any anxieties in me. Show me if there's any wicked way inside of me and then lead me in the way everlasting. Because there's a lot of times where we can't see, but of course we know God can see and he'll show us those things. You see, the biblical principle is that we have to be intense about obedience. And, you know, when there's the right root, there will be the fruit but we can't trust in any type of superficial religion. Uh, I remember one guy, he thought he was cool because he had a, a, a brother-in-law who was a priest and another brother-in-law who was a pastor. He's like, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, as a matter of fact, I was wondering if you could turn to Matthew chapter 3. And look what it says in Matthew 3, uh, verse 7. This is uh, John the Baptist. He says, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Here it is. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit, God will be be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And it's kind of trippy, man, because it's the same concept, you know, uh, trust in religion. We got the temple, or we're descendants of Abraham. I mean, we're Sadducees, we're Pharisees. And and right here, the Lord just tells them, you know, John the Baptist is a spokesman for God. You have to have fruit in your life. There has to be some type of love, that visible change, because if not, I'm telling you this, and it's a heavy, heavy, heavy warning that the axe is laid to the root of the tree and he's getting ready to chop it down and do what? Throw it into the fire. So we got to make sure, you know, that we're right with God. You know, back in in, in Jeremiah, what, what Jeremiah is sharing is primarily a warning, but it's not only a warning, it's also a promise. There in verse seven, he says, hey, if you do things right, I'll bless you and I'll let you stay in the land. 
Have you guys ever met somebody or maybe you've heard, we probably all have somebody we know of that has like kind of like messed up their life? Maybe they're spending life in prison. You know, maybe they, they, they lost their family. You know, that man over there, he would have prospered if he had only continued to follow the Lord. Or that gal over there, she would have had true love and enjoyed her marriage if only she would have followed the Lord. And, and he was supposed to be a pastor. And that guy and her, they went the other way. They fell away. I, I, and you know, you're looking at people and you just see their life is a train wreck. And you wonder, you know, why didn't they obey and stay on, in love with God? Oh, well, they were never really saved. You know, all I know is looking at these things, we can name many Bible characters who didn't land in the land that God had for them. Some of the more prominent people I think of is someone like Lot, who the Bible says chose for himself. And there he was, you know, sitting and eventually living in the midst of Sodom and, and, and Gomorrah and how that cost him his family. Or you look at someone like Samson, so much potential, but he only began to deliver the people. Or you look at someone like Saul, again, you know, this guy was tall and he started off so well, but he ended so horrible. What about Judas? What about Demas? The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. There it is. There it is. Where people love this world and the things that of this world more than that world, more than they do God. And this guy, Demas, who was, a, you know, God had used him and with Paul the Apostle. I mean, think about it. Serving side by side with Paul the Apostle, he left him. He left the Lord because he fell in love with the world and the things that the world has to offer. You know, if a person lives for the world, they've traded the permanent for the immediate. And they could have had the eternal but instead they chose the temporal. And so Jeremiah continues. Look at verse 8. He says, don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. That's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal? Incense is kind of like prayer, praying to Baal, and all those other new gods of yours, and then come here and and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back to all those evils again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves? Surely I see all the evil going on here. I, the Lord, have spoken. And their, their, their doctrine was wrong. How many of you guys know you believe that God loves you? I'm just curious. You guys believe that God loves you, right? And how many of you guys know that inclusive within that love is that he will discipline you, right? He will discipline us. I was talking to my daughter earlier, and I was telling her, you know, my, when I was growing up, my dad told me that I was such a good kid that I didn't need to be spanked. That's what my dad said. Now, I don't know... <laughs> If that was true, if I had to guess, I would say it probably wasn't. But my dad wasn't a good disciplinarian, and he unfortunately mistook that for love. Boys need to be disciplined, huh? 
Girls too, but maybe not as much. I'm not sure how that works. But I do know this, that we need that, you know, that, 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 that discipline. And that's what God will do. Right, right here, all Jeremiah is saying is that if you have a theology that says that God doesn't discipline, that God doesn't punish, if you have a theology, there are some people out there, this is a guy, he wrote a book, it's called Love Wins. That's the name of the book, Love Wins. And his belief is everybody eventually will go to heaven. Oh my gosh. And some people are buying it up because they love that concept. That's false theology. You know, the Bible says the road to life is narrow and there are few who find it. It says the road to destruction is broad and many go that way. And so looking at this, their theology was off. God won't spank us. God won't discipline us. God won't punish us. And so, you know, the Lord here, he's talking through Jeremiah. Do you really think that you can play with sin and pray to other gods and that you're going to be okay? I mean, you do all that while you're out there in your homes, at your work, with your friends, all that junk that you do, and then you come in here to church, and, and you, you're not here to get right. You're just here because whatever, you know, so they dragged me to church, and I got to come to church. You're not really here to get right. You know, what he says right here, you're here to fulfill your religious obligation with no intention of leaving this place any different. That's what the, way the people were. You know, right here, the, the temple is referred to as a den of thieves. A den of thieves is where the robbers go to hide after they committed their crime. I, I will confess that when I was young, I used to steal. Um, man, we're talking, I began in the third grade, so God forgive me, man. But I used to go to Long's Drug Stores, and I would steal toys and put them in my backpack. And then, you know, we slip out the side to make sure no one saw us. We're hiding. You know, that's what a den of thieves is. A den of where, is where you go after the crime to hide. And so think about it. The church or the temple became a den of thieves. They were out there ripping everybody off, doing all this crazy stuff, and they thought that they could come to the sanctuary and they could hide. Think about that. That's the way some people are. But right here, notice what God says in the end of verse 11. Surely I see all the evil going on. I, the Lord, I see and I've spoken. And so we can't hide our sin. You guys know that, right? You guys know that God can read your thoughts. You guys know that? And that's why the thoughts have to be pure. The words that we speak, when and how we speak them, have to be in submission to him. You know, the things that we do, the things that we don't do, all that we are, God sees it all. And so we can't hide from God. You know, when I look at this, I thought it was interesting because Jesus also called the, the temple a den of thieves. In Matthew 21, 13 and, and Mark eleven seventeen. 17. Uh, and you guys know um, the building was glorious. Herod's temple, oh man, that thing, it was crazy awesome. It was glorious, it was fabulous, but the temple in God's eyes was hideous because the people did not love God. And so, you know, they they should have known how God deals with them, how God deals with people, that he's not just blowing hot air because he had done something similar in the past. Look at verse 12. God says, go now to the place at Shiloh, 
where I once put the tabernacle that bore my name, and see what I did there because of all the wickedness of my people, the Israelites. While you were doing these wicked things, says the Lord, I spoke to you about it repeatedly, but you would not listen. I called out to you, but you refused to answer. So just as I destroyed Shiloh, I will now destroy this temple that bears my name, this temple that you trust in for help, this place that I gave to you and your ancestors, and I will send it out of my sight into exile, just as I did your relatives, the people of Israel. You know, God just basically says, um, you guys look at Shiloh. Now, Shiloh was where the tabernacle was for 400 years. And so when you read throughout the scriptures, you can start in the book of Joshua. But then when you get into 1 Samuel chapter 3 and chapter 4, you'll start seeing the ministry of, of Eli when he was high priest and his sons. And so they were priests in the temple. And you want to know what they were doing? They were sleeping with the women in the temple. They were in sexual sin. And you don't want to know else what they would do? When the people would go and they would offer their sacrifices to God, they would take their forks and they would put it in the meat and they would just say, hey, this is mine. They were stealing from the sacrifices of God. And so basically it got so bad because of these guys that the people abhorred the temple. They didn't want to go to the temple. Eli, who was high priest, he didn't do anything about it. He said, that's okay. You know, they're my sons. I'm going to let them be there, right? And so it was a a terrible time uh, in the history of Israel, even though this was the place of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. That was symbolic of God's presence. Those were those religious relics, right? And so what ended up happening, you read the chapter there, eventually um, the, the Israel went to war with the Philistines. The Philistines defeated Israel. So you know what Israel did? They said, this is what we'll do. We'll take the Ark of the Covenant into our battle. And the, you know, when you read the story there, it's really fascinating that they were so excited because they had the Ark of the Covenant. Now they shouted so loud, the, the Jews, they were so excited about that. Now they had the Ark of the Covenant that the earth shook. And so the Philistines were even afraid. But you know what? They said, hey, let's fight. Let's be men. And what ended up happening that day, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and they took it away. It's interesting. Eli's daughter-in-law then gave birth. And what ended up happening was Eli's sons died. Eli the high priest died. His daughter-in-law died. And while she was dying, she, they said, hey, it's a boy. And she says, this is what I want to name him. I want to name him Ichabod because the glory, that means the glory has departed. You know, and, and, you know, it reminds me of Samson, you know, playing with sin, playing with sin, playing with sin. You've been doing this for 17 years now and you won't stop. You won't start loving your wife the way you're supposed to. You won't start submitting to your husband the way that you're supposed to. You won't start being obedient and whatever it is. And you know, you're like, well, hey, I've been doing this for 17 years now, 18 years now. Samson's been doing this for who knows how long. But so he said, I'm going to get up just like all the other times. Where the Bible say he didn't know that the spirit had departed. See, part of this is intended to instill within us a healthy fear of God. Because that's what messes up the church a lot of times is they don't know the love of God. 
and they don't know the fear of God. And this is what this should strike within us. God is telling them, hey, this has happened before. You know, it wasn't the temple, but same concept. It was the Ark of the Covenant. But unfortunately, um, they did not learn from history. Look what God says in verse 16. Pray no more for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them. And don't beg me to help them, for I will not listen to you. And so I want you guys to imagine yourself. Well, maybe I shouldn't have you do this, but I don't know. Imagine a person. They're so bad. They're so stuck. You know, they're so out there to where God says, hey, I don't even want you praying for them anymore. That's how bad it got. And believe you me, man, you don't want to reach that point. You know, we read the same thing in Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 4, and Jeremiah 14, verse 11. And, and you know, that's a mysterious thing to me because most of us here would be like, well, I don't think, I mean, I can't even imagine God ever saying, stop praying for them. I mean, that's hard for us, you know, to fathom. But, you know, um, it, it's here. And there's some similar things in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, it's kind of the same concept. God says, okay, you know what? I'm done. Deliver that person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So at the end, you know, maybe they'll get saved. You let them go. You know, 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, kind of the same concept. All I know is this, man. They were in a bad spot. And one of the things that we have to know, because this is kind of cool, because where are you guys going to go after we're done uh, with the study tonight? How many of you guys going to In-N-Out? No, I'm just joking. You, you're going to go home. Uh, are you guys, most of you guys are going to go home, right? That's where this starts. Want to know what messed up our nation? The home. The home. Dads are not there. They have kids. They're not there. Mom and dad don't stay together, but who cares? Divorce is no big deal. And the society starts telling you lies like that. No, love that wife, love that man. Oh, we don't even need to get married. We can just live together. And the, the family is a fabric of society. And a lot of times what ends up happening is kids don't serve the Lord because their parents were hypocrites. Now, that's not always the case because every child has the opportunity to make their own decision. And sometimes you might have the best of parents with kids who don't serve the Lord. But it's important for us to understand how this starts at home, how, how important our homes are. Imagine if every family, you guys, Cabra Chapel Almani said, Joshua twenty four fifteen. as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what we see, the family. Warren Worsby said, and when a nation decays, it begins in the home. And that's why it's interesting what we read in verse 17. It says, don't you see what they're doing throughout the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? No wonder I am so angry. Watch how the children gather wood and the fathers build sacrificial fires. See how the women knead dough and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven? And they pour out liquid offerings to their other idol gods. Am I the one they are hurting, asked the Lord? Most of all, they hurt themselves to their own shame. 
No, God here says, Terry, Jeremiah, you see what's going on? That this is a family affair. The little boys or little girls, they go and they get the wood and they're all excited about it. Oh, look at what we get to do. And they give the wood to dad and he builds the fire, right? And he gets it going. And then mom, you know, she gets the, the dough and, you know, she starts mixing it and molding it together. And they bake these cakes and they're all involved in the worship of, they call her the queen of heaven. And you're wondering, well, who's the queen of heaven? Well, this was a worship title for Ishtar, Warren Risby said, the Babylonian goddess of love and fertility, whose worship involved abominable obscenities. And this is what they were engaged in. If you have a chance, I encourage you to read Jeremiah 44, 16 through 19. As a matter of fact, you know what? Let's go there real quick because it's pretty fascinating to read this. Jeremiah chapter 44. Look at what he says, because he deals with this a couple of times. In Jeremiah 44, verse 16, we will not listen to your message from the Lord. We will do whatever we want. We will burn incense and pour out liquid offerings to the queen of heaven just as much as we like, just as we and our ancestors and our kings and officials have always done in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Check this out. For in those days we had plenty to eat and we were well off and had no troubles. No, because if you if you do crazy, if you're out there and you're not serving the Lord, you know, then the enemy is not going to come against you. Because he has you right where he wants you on your way to hell. He's not going to mess with you. Your life will probably be easier. But when you start serving the Lord, guess what happens? You're going to experience opposition. Notice it says in verse 18, but ever since we quit burning incense to the queen of heaven and stopped worshiping her with liquid offerings, we have been in great trouble and have been dying from war and famine. Besides, the woman added, do you suppose that we were burning incense and pouring out liquid offerings to the queen of heaven and making cakes marked with her image without our husbands knowing it and helping us? Of course not. See, it was a, a family affair. You know, it's cool when you get married, or for those of you who are single, when you get together with somebody who helps you in your relationship with God. Here was a husband, he didn't help. Here was a wife, she didn't help. Where are they going to end up? It's very important for us to have that heart. You know, tragically, we see even today that they're still worshiping the Queen of Heaven. And you guys know who I'm talking about, huh? Mary. The Catholic Church worships Mary. You know, the belief in Mary as Queen of Heaven has been around for centuries, but it finally obtained the papal sanction in 1954 under the leadership of Pope Pius XII. I was reading one Catholic website that presented Mary as Queen of Heaven based on what was called the title Queen Mother in the Old Testament. Okay, so how many of you here, you've read your Bibles? You guys have read your Bibles, right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say we're supposed to worship Mary. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that she was immaculately conceived. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that she didn't have any other children. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that she was physically ascended into heaven. And nowhere in the Bible does it say she's queen of heaven. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that we can pray to her. 
But the Catholic Church does all those things because there's nothing new under the sun. You know, for us, we have to be so careful on this. I remember one time, it's just crazy, it's blasphemy. I read one bumper sticker as I'm driving. It says, if you can't find God, look for his mother. You know, Mary's not the mother of God. She's the mother of Jesus. She's a godly woman, but she's not someone to pray to. I remember growing up in the Catholic Church, and they said there's only one form that the devil can't turn into, and that's Mary. And I'm like, where did they get that? You know? But they fabricate these things. You know, this website that I was reading, it said, uh, thus we should approach our queen mother with confidence, knowing that she carries our petitions to her son and that he responds to her as Solomon did to Bathsheba, I will never refuse you. Imagine that. They think, they're saying, hey, you guys pray to Mary because her son will never say no to her. Same thing. And so we see it's going on. We need to heed the warning Verse 20, so, so this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will pour out my terrible fury on this place. Its people, I mean, we're talking animals, trees, and crops, will be consumed by the unquenchable fire of my anger. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Take your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat them yourselves. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, It was not burnt offerings and sacrifices I wanted from them. This is what I told them. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Do everything as I say and all will be well. But my people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted, following the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backward instead of forward. And that's something I want to encourage you guys in today. Go forward as a man of God. Go forward as a woman of God. Get stronger. Fall more in love with God. You know, because unfortunately, what we see right here, God says, man, I'm going to judge this place. We're talking the heavy judgment of God. You know, these guys were all caught up in their religious stuff. They thought their burnt offerings and sacrifices were sufficient. And that's the danger of religion. You know, I remember, again, when I was in Catholic Church and the holy water. Do you guys remember that? The holy water? I don't know how clean it was because everybody's hand was in there, but eventually, you know, it's your turn and you go and you're feeling that, you know. And then, you know, the, the, the incense, I mean, it smelled good and the stained glass windows and the robes and all that kind of stuff. It appeals to the flesh, you know, and I grew up and I was baptized and then I got my first Holy Communion and then, you know, I had my confirmation and in the Catholic Church, the confirmation they say is when you're born again. And I said, wow, I never knew that, you know. I got confirmed, but I did not know the Lord. It was just a ceremony. It was just a sacrament. And, and when you're looking at this, this is exactly what, you know, they were going through. Well, we did all this stuff and we're good, but no, it doesn't work that way. And even for us, not just to knock the Catholic Church as Protestants, even people in Calvary Chapel, we don't have a lot of uh, ceremonies necessarily to point to, but we do have activities that some people might trust in. Like you might be here today and, you know, you might not be a Christian, just because your parents are Christians, you, you're not, doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your loved ones are Christians doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you come to Calvary Chapel Almani doesn't mean you're a Christian. You know, some people say, well, I said the prayer. 
And when they did the altar call, I went forward. And I, and I pray, you know, I have a habit of praying. And I read my Bible faithfully. I fast even religiously. I go to church. I serve in ministry. I donate to the church and charities, tithes and offerings. Listen, you can do all that stuff and still not really be saved. The Bible says, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You know, we have to make sure that we have this understanding that it's not the religion, it's not the sacrifices, it's not the sacrament. What God is saying right here, when you read the book of Exodus, God had brought the people out of Egypt. Before he ever gave them all the ceremonial laws of sacrifices, he gave them the moral law there in Exodus chapter 20, the, the Ten Commandments. We're talking about obedience. See, that's the heart. Now, obedience to the commandments doesn't save you, but obedience to the commandments shows that you're saved. And as a pastor and as a brother and as a friend, I don't know all of you guys. Who knows? Maybe you're all saved. Maybe there's 17 of you here that are not. Don't leave today unless you know I have a personal relationship with God. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again, and I choose to follow him. See, that's where you have to be. It's interesting how he says right here that they followed the evil dictates of their own heart. You'll hear that a lot in the world today. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. No, you can't follow your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, and even here it says that our hearts are, are evil right? They're, they're desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. We have to follow not our feelings, not our heart. We have to follow God. And so right here we see the Lord telling them, verse 25, from, from the day your, your ancestors left Egypt until now I have continued to send my servants, the prophets, day in and day out. In the New King James, it says rising early. And that means God was eager to tell them. He was, you know, had this heart but my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They have been stubborn and sinful, even worse than their ancestors. Tell them all this, but don't expect them to listen. Shout out your warnings, but do not expect them to respond. Say to them, this is the nation whose people will not obey the Lord their God, who refuse to be taught. Truth has vanished from among them. It is no longer heard on their lips. I mean, you know, the word of God, you know, it's kind of cool. I will say this. I am so blessed that you guys came to a midweek service. I am so blessed by that. And there's a lot of you here tonight. I am so blessed by that. So maybe that you have a hunger. Maybe there's something here, a beautiful work that, that God is doing. But for these guys right here, they didn't want to, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to live it. And they didn't want to speak it. They didn't want nothing to do with the word. And like I said last week, you can always tell a person's relationship to God based on how much they love the Bible. If you're not reading the Bible, you're not reading God's love letter to you, then that's a reflection of your relationship with God. Here they didn't want to hear it, they didn't want to live it, and they didn't want to speak it. We should want to do all those things. And so he tells them, and he transitions now from Sunday morning to Sunday morning. Look at verse 29. Shave your head in mourning and weep alone on, on the mountains. The other day, I was, this guy came over. He was helping us out. 
and he had a shaved head. He was a pelon like me, right? And he's like, hey, I like your hairstyle. I'm like, yeah. But I'm not mourning. It's just the way my wife likes it, right? But he says, shave your head in mourning, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken this generation that has provoked his fury. The people of Judah have sinned. Notice, before my very eyes, says the Lord, they have set up their abominable idols right in the temple that bears my name, defiling it. They have built pagan shrines at Topheth, the garbage dump in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And there, this is so heartbreaking. Look at what it says. There they burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. And here the Lord is saying, you know, you better mourn because, you know, and I will say this, this is so applicable to the United States of America. I mean, do you guys think that we're going to get away with the things that we're doing? No way. You know, and I don't know if we're going to see it with our own eyes. I have a feeling that it might happen and we might see some of it. But man, I'm telling you, what we're reading right here, that's going to happen to this nation. God's going to rapture his church out and all judgment's going to come. You know, evil and rebellion are not good anywhere in the world, but when it's in the temple, when it's in the church, it's even worse. I mean, I hate it. I hate it when sometimes in the church, people who are sometimes leaders are in sexual sin. I hate it. And it happens. This is God's house. There's a standard here of holiness. But you see it happen time and time again. You know, these people were not only doing that in the temple, they were doing it right outside of Jerusalem. They would have that, that valley right there um, the word Topheth, it means fireplace. And the word Hinnom there, it means, well, it, the Greek word Gehenna, it means hell. And so as God, as this, as this message is going forward, Jeremiah has taken us where we, where we need to be aware of. Um, it is good that we have doctrine. We believe in heaven, but we also believe in, in hell. And that's a place you don't want to go. There they burned their children to pagan gods. And you guys might remember they had the god Molech and they had his arms like this outstretched and they would heat it up red hot and they would offer their, their children on that uh, god. And God said, I never commanded you to do that. The thought was nowhere in my heart. But what happened to us? What happened to this world? Why are we burning our babies? Why are they injecting the saline solution and killing those children, literally burning our children in their mother's womb? Why is this happening? And according to the World Health Organization, every year in the world, there is an estimated 40 to 50 million abortions. That's worldwide. This corresponds to approximately 125,000 abortions every single day. In the United States, where nearly half of pregnancies are unintended, Four in ten, 10 of these are terminated by abortion. In our nation, there are over 3,000 abortions every single day. 22% of all pregnancies in the United States, think about that, end in abortion. We are burning our children. Now, if you're here and you had an abortion in the past, this is not meant to condemn you. Of course, this is to strike fear from this point forward. That's, not, that's life that God put in there. 
We don't have the right to take it, but it's the same spirit behind all these things. It's the same evil. And what's happening is we're just getting ripe for judgment. And so let me finish up here. So he says in verse 32, beware for the, for the time is coming, says the Lord, when that garbage dump, this is where they burn the fire, will no longer be called Topheth or the, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. They will bury the bodies in Topheth until there is no more room for them. Think about this. The bodies of my people will be food for the vultures and wild animals, and no one will be left to scare them away. I will put an end to the happy singing and laughter in the streets of Jerusalem. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will no longer be heard in the towns of Judah. The land will lie in complete desolation. And it's a heavy warning, you guys. I mean, for us, uh, you know, we thank God, you know, if you're a Christian, you know, you're not going to experience that that judgment. But there's aspects of discipline also that I pray a study like this will sway us from, that we would get right with God. You know, this is a word of warning from Jeremiah. This is a word of warning to me. This is a word of warning from God to you. You want to know why? Because he loves you, right? And so when you look at these things, you're like, man, this sounds like things going on in the United States of America today, huh? (laughs) It's because there's nothing new under the sun. Henry David Thoreau, he said, the more we know about the ancients, the more we find that they will be like the modernists. And that's the way it is. You know, yesterday, for whatever reason, I was thinking of my brother Reuben. You guys remember Reuben? Um, He went home to be with the Lord and I was thinking about him, first of all, then I miss him. And then secondly, I was thinking about what he used to say. And he used to say something like this. At the end of the day, when, when we're standing before Jesus, it won't necessarily be a sin issue. It will only be a son issue. Listen, we all sin. All of us here, we fall short of the glory of God. We will do that. But what we find, oh, that's Siri. Um, what we find is that Jesus Christ is the one who died for our sins. He bore the punishment that we deserve. And so before you leave tonight, if you've never accepted Christ, I pray that you would today accept Christ. And if you've drifted away, I pray you come back to the Lord. And that from this day forward, we would all be intense about obedience. In everything I think, and everything I say, and everything I do, and in everything I am, God, I give you my heart.